Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Shimmer's Day, December 11th, 2023. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions about the U.S. legal system and the supernatural. Then in our main segment, Jim talks about how Epcot's Listen to the Land became Epcot's Living with the Land. Let's get started by bringing in the man who really wants to be visited by three ghosts this Christmas who tell them what he's been doing wrong because he needs all the help he can get. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if Charles Dickens can, you know, send those guys my way, I, I'd really appreciate that, you know, yeah. that, especially the ghost of Christmas future, you know, just sort yeah. of like, especially, you know, if he could give me a line on what the hot gifts are going into 2024, <laughs> that would be really exactly. helpful. I mean, yeah, so. I mean, haunting ghosts or life coaches, you decide, right? <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at patreon.com slash Jim Hill Media. Thanks to new subscribers, Radcon, Kelly McCubbin, Jeff Voughton, and not Jake Pearson. And the longtime subscribers, Sniffles54, whereinthepark.com, Hedden Coleman, and Daniel Gallagher. Jim, these are the Hallmark Channel scientists nominated for the Nobel Prize for developing a breakthrough second film plot for Hallmark's Christmas movies in 2024. They say despite being stuck in Hallmark's big city research labs pretty much nonstop for the last couple of years and not having the time for family or relationships, they're looking forward to spending this Christmas back in the small town where they grew up, <laughs> reconnecting with the friends who never left in. Hey, wait a minute. Who wrote this anyway? <laughs> wow. Anyway, true story. <laughs> okay. Just to, to, to put a, a, an extra layer on this bit. As soon as Len and I finish recording this week's show, Nancy and I climb in the car, drive down to Edison, New Jersey, where yep. for the next three days, Nancy will be attending Christmas Con, uh, which, yeah. which is a celebration of all things Hallmark uh, Christmas movie related. So. I, I threw this in just because just because you could do this. I, that was This was my story. I've had this for two weeks. Okay. okay. <laughs> there we go. And we'll let them know about the whole second plot thing. That, that they'll be very excited. So I, I, I love that the uh, the annual Christmas convention is in New Jersey. That seems super fitting to me somehow. I don't know why. Oh, and 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 it's in a pretty bleak industrial park as well, Len. You know, you, <laughs> it's an industrial park in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it just goes to show, Jim, Christmas is in your heart. There we All go. Right. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, a quick reminder. We're moving the show off of Bandcamp and onto Patreon beginning with our show on January 1st, 2024. So that's just a couple of weeks away. And we've just released our third video with Imagineer Jim Scholl, who helped build Disney MGM Studios on how that park went from a half-day soundstage tour to one of Walt Disney World's big four theme parks. Sign up at patreon.com slash jimhallmedia, and don't forget to close down your Bandcamp subscription after that. All right, on to the news. Folks, the news is brought to you by touringplans.com. Touring Plans helps you save time and money at theme parks like Walt Disney World, Check us out at touringplans.com. All right, Jim, you, me, and Jim Scholl participated in the third annual Gingerbread Snapdown last week. The events included a cookie stroll through Epcot and the Gingerbread Snapdown event itself. Now, a couple of interesting things here. We expected 20 to 40 people, and then nearly 100 showed up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Had to, had to find a lot more space very, very quickly inside of Epcot, we, but we did it. We so did. That was good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, the uh, the Epcot cookie stroll happened first, and this was supposed to be a casual, fun event where small teams went around the countries to sample holiday food. And then Christina, as you all know, uh, added gift cards as prizes, and all of a sudden this became Mad Max Christmas Thunderdome in World Showcase. <laughs> so the, the idea was that she was going to give prizes – to the teams who found three specific cookies in World Showcase and then brought photo proof of them back to Christina. But what Christina didn't say, and, and let me just add here that vague and flexible rules is kind of a feature of Gingerbread Weekend. What Christina didn't say is that she was allowed to run away from people trying to find her. <laughs> Jim, I have never seen the light up Christmas sweaters move that fast. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Anyway, we also did the uh, the gingerbread challenge over at uh, Sunshine Seasons at the Land Pavilion, which we're going to talk about later on in the show. We had exactly ten minutes and twenty two seconds to create a gingerbread house from a boxed kit, and cheating was actively encouraged. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure that that really happened too, based on how good some of those houses turned out. Some of them had custom lighting kits, yeah. preformed background, yeah. <laughs> trees. A lot of them had trees. <laughs> like, like you've been working on bonsai for this for how long? <laughs> I think I swear to God, Jim, we were like one model railroad away from the cover of Good Housekeeping. <laughs> I, there were some very ambitious people competing this year, so it was fantastic. Anyway, the real purpose of the event is to give presents to small children, uh, including a Lego set so large that I'm pretty sure that the parents had to check bags at the airport. And to them, I say, you knew the risks. <laughs> anyway, yeah. it was a lot of fun, and thanks to everyone uh, who came out. Also, the uh, the other interesting thing that uh, that I learned last weekend, Jim, was that I now know what it's like to bring 97 gingerbread houses through Epcot security. They didn't bat an eye. Well, now, like, that's not entirely true. Remember, the one thing they did want to check was, what was it, that your sister brought- Plastic knives. Plastic knives. Yeah, yeah we had, so we brought in, uh, Christy bought a box of cutlery to, you know, help with the icing and stuff. And and the only, you know, the, but we, so we bring in, bring in nearly 100 gingerbread kits. We bring in half a dozen bags of prizes, all of that went through, you know, pretty quickly. They figured that out, and they, but they really did want to go through the um, the plastic cutlery to make sure there was no metal in there, and that was the only thing they were concerned about. So, hats off to security for uh, for being very effective. I don't know, but on the other hand, if they'd really thought about it, given how hard those pieces of gingerbread were, you know, they, yeah, you could have easily bludgeoned five people with one of those <laughs> things. So. I uh, I sampled some of the uh, the houses afterwards because you know it's like you know Paul Hollywood says it it has to look good and taste good, right? And and some of them some of them were delightful. Some of the gingerbread was actually good, and then some of the non gingerbread accoutrements were, um, let's say, uh, what, what's the phrase? Not worth the calories? Is that the uh, okay? Yeah. Let's go there with that. Let's go yeah. with that. But, okay. But overall, a lot of fun. I had, we had a hoot, and thanks to everyone who uh, who came out. Also, speaking of Epcot. Uh, World Celebration Gardens opened this past week. The shops haven't opened, but now most of the walking paths. Are uh, are available and there's still some uh, still some construction walls, but this is definitely a big opening uh, there, so that looks good. Also, uh, Luminous, the Symphony of Us, the new Epcot fireworks show, debuted last week as well. Have you seen the video of this, Jim? I have, I have. I, I you know, I, I, what's kind of interesting to me is it's kind of a return to form. It's like okay, like you know, let, let's go back to the basics, but. Let's yeah. do the basics as well as we've ever done the basics. So, yeah, I mean that that was that was exactly my feeling. That um, uh, I, I think I told Chrissy after watching it, like this is basically the rebound boyfriend of fireworks shows. <laughs> like we're we're playing it safe. We we're, we're not going to take any risks here. This is this is not the, this may not be the long term solution, but it's fine for now. Yeah, that's forget about the symphony of us. Yeah, that's it from now on. Luminous, the rebound boyfriend. You know that that <laughs> fireworks shows. Yeah, so uh, so a couple of things. A sixteen minute show, so four minutes shorter than harmonious. Um, the new edition uh, is perimeter cannons for fireworks, and those are amazing. Also, great viewing spots all around World Showcase Lagoon. So that's a big improvement from harmonious. You know, I thought the highlights were like the color choices for the lasers, the lighting effects were on point and the fireworks are very good. Whoever's been doing those for Epcot has been on a run lately doing great stuff. So good there. Um, I thought the pacing was a little uneven. There's a couple of slow points in the first half of the show that give it sort of an up and down uh, feeling there. Like there's this one moment about 10 minutes in where it's like everyone you know is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to be fine. Like, 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 okay. Like, I don't, I, how many dinners are you going to sell based off that? I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, no. Yeah. You know that. that, that, that remember the, the the Walt Disney credo for every laugh there needs to be a tear. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that was mm. yeah. But I mean, overall, you know, I, I thought to your point, the show was safe. A straightforward concept, you know, songs and fireworks are always good. No risky moves with effect, no weird concepts or themes. No, no. The, uh, the couple of bits of original music I thought were basically connective threads to songs everyone has seen and heard. 
So overall, it's a decent show. I think people enjoy it, so that's good. You know, just one quick side note here, because it, it, it's we're going to talk in a moment about uh, the opening of the World Celebration Garden. Uh, mm-hmm. And remember, when the plans were initially unveiled in 2019 for yeah. uh, you know for the Epcot redo, uh, we had. Uh, the the festival center that three story structure the island in the sky, yeah. And I recently had somebody in entertainment reach out to say the moment they canceled that, uh, you know, uh, harmonious was doomed. That yeah. you know the the whole notion was it was the people who were going to be up on that island for the private event yeah. that were going to have the beauty shot of all of harmonious. They were able to look down at the lake and see yep. all the things play out, and not only that, they were going to be at the perfect height for those an angle and the angle yeah that's it exactly that that they were going to be placed to see all of the effects dead on and they were the ones who were going to come down uh off of this three-story perch and evangelize for it and it's just but the the folks who were working on the show as soon as they heard that's off the table it's like we're doomed you know that that no one will see the show as we intended it to be seen uh so that to me, is interesting about Luminous, you know, the whole notion of, okay, yeah. we're going back to everybody standing around World Showcase gets a great show. It's not a question of, you know, those three to 500 people up in the island of the sky who see it dead on, you know, with their complimentary mm-hmm. cocktails, you know, get right. the beauty shot and get to come down and evangelize. This has to be a great show for everyone. So, Yeah, I think, you know, so you and I have... have Talk to the Imagineers who worked on mm-hmm. these things. So, we, you know, we're getting it directly from the source. I, so I, I, this story is totally true. But I think one of the things that it shows is how committed Bob Chapek was to considering first the feelings of the people who were paying the most yeah. to get in the parks, right? How how skewed it was towards the very big spenders. Like, we're going to do a, an Epcot show and it's going to be okay for a lot of people. But man, if you wanted to spend the money to rent out the third floor of yeah. this new uh, facility we're building, man, you're going to have the best time ever. Yeah, that's just not – yeah. that's. But you know, it, I, I think there's this cycle where uh, every couple decades, Disney has to relearn some of the basic concepts of, of running a theme park successfully. And this is one of those things. No, I, no you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And you mentioned the uh, World Celebrations Garden. It uh, it opened. We've got the new uh, Walt uh, partner statue sitting there. So on Wednesday, mm-hmm. an hour long line to get a photo with uh, Bronze Walt. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, you know, they're going to be uh, again. Uh, you know, what's been kind of interesting. The daytime reviews weren't as passionate or positive as the nighttime reviews the nighttime reviews exactly yeah yeah again the lighting package whoever's doing the lighting at epcot you are you are a fantastic person yeah i also love the uh the uh new stuff for spaceship earth that they debuted i think during harmonious there was a like a little shout out to uh to illuminations in there again whoever's doing the lighting package on 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 spaceship earth you you understand epcot in a way that uh, a lot of other people don't. So keep doing whatever you're doing. This is true. The other thing that uh, I think uh, I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, now that uh, a lot of um, future world, uh, world celebration or whatever is is open, uh, you and I were sitting uh, waiting for Jim Schull at uh, the Connections Cafe in Epcot. And we took Jim Schull around, former Imagineer Jim Schull, around to show him the uh, display kitchens in connections. And I think we all loved those things because on one side, people were making pizzas. And then on the other side, they were making this really intricate German layered cake. And, and the great thing for me was that guests could see all of these things being made. Now we've all seen pizza made before, but the mechanism and the special tools needed to make a cylindrical layered cake it was new to me. And, and you know, and, and Jim Schultz over there taking pictures of it going, you know, this is what Epcot is supposed to be. And I'm like, Jim, you're preaching to the choir here. Like, yeah. this is this is what Epcot is supposed to be. Yeah, it was fantastic. No, yeah. They've they, so, they you know, done some nice work there. They really have. Yeah. I mean, so we're seeing some promising things. We just need, uh, you know, more of it and faster, hopefully. So, all right, cool. All right, uh, Jim, we have time for a couple of uh, surveys. Kathy Evans sent in a new Universal Orlando survey asking which name for tickets Sounds best to you. And Kathy got 70 different ticket 
name options. I'm not going to go through all of them here, but I'll go through a few of them. Uh, one of them is called the Universal Orlando Fun Ticket, uh, Florida Fun Ticket, Unlimited Florida Fun Ticket, Chills to Thrills Pass Ticket. I, and see, when I, when I saw that one, Jim, I was like, Chills to Thrills Pass Ticket, if they could throw the word admission and media in there. <laughs> chills to Thrills Pass Ticket Admission Media, I think that's the way to go. The uh, But they've also got different versions on this. So uh, it's like the Taco Bell menu where you've got six ingredients, but you're going to combine them in, you know, 720 different ways. Yeah, they they uh- – you know, what is it? The you go, the you play, as in you universal, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, did, I actually didn't get that the first time I read it. Okay. So which way over my head there. Yeah. The unlimited two park, park to park ticket, the unlimited thrills and chills ticket. Uh, and then they've got a few more. The uh, the mega ticket, which to me sounds like a lottery. I'm not sure they're going to go with that. Yeah. But. Yeah, the infinite fun ticket, uh, and then the unlimited three park park to park ticket. Yeah, so they got a few going on there. Okay, and and it's important to understand here that Universal is always a little cagey when it 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 comes to names. Uh, I remember, you know, when they relaunched the resort in you know nineteen ninety nine as Universal Escape, and you know that mm. that crashed and burned. You know, yeah, uh, it, it, that lasted eight minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that. that they, yeah. It confused more people than it excited. So I, I think right. the fact that, you know, and, and just the whole notion that Universal is laying out 70 potential names is like, please tell us what you, you know, that we have no clue, you know. So it's like, well, the thing I liked about this survey was mm-hmm. the question at the end mm-hmm. that asked you why you picked the names you picked. And the survey answers there, I think, lead directly to how Universal is going to market these tickets. So here's some examples. So uh, let's say you picked uh, Universal Orlando Access Ticket Admission Media Entry, whatever, for your uh, for your name. Uh, then it asks, why are you more likely to select this ticket name? And then the options are, it sounds the most fun. It'll cover the right number of days for my visit. It sounds the most exciting. It includes the most options. It tells you the most information about what you're getting. It provides the most savings, provides the most value, and so on. And I think that whatever box you check there goes into a bucket, and the biggest bucket basically leads to the marketing slogan that you use there. And we've, we've seen this before, right? So remember when we talked about how when Disney names its new restaurants, like Toledo Tapas Steaks and Seafood or whatever, that Disney's basically putting the entire menu in the name of the restaurant so you know exactly what you're getting, which helps people on their phones understand, you know, what the restaurant serves. But it's also it's great for search engine optimization. I think I think the same thing is is true here. They're gonna want a ticket name that describes exactly what you're getting, so there's no confusion about it. Yeah, makes sense. It just, you know, I. But again, it just it, it tells you so much about the world we live in now. You know, the, the the notion of this isn't for the person using the guide map. This is the person for the person using their phone. The other interesting thing about this, and and you know, we just went through a whole new site redesign on touringplans.com, so I I kind of understand this issue. Um, but one of the things that theme parks face is that they have unique offerings that aren't typical at other destinations. Like the idea of a ride reservation system probably doesn't make sense if you're going to the beach, right? But how do you describe a ride reservation system in the small amount of real estate that you have on a cell phone, right? To somebody who's probably not reading every word, they're skimming, right? So again, the the, cho- the choice of ticket name has to convey everything that you're getting in the name. Yeah. So the uh, the the canonical example I give is what's a genie plus mm-hmm. if you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So no, that, that's an excellent observation. Hmm. Okay. All right, Jim. Another uh, interesting Universal Studios survey. This one from Hollywood from a uh, listener who wants to remain anonymous. And I mentioned this, Jim, because one, it's a new survey, and two, it asks some really interesting questions about the Universal Studios Hollywood Studio Tour, which I think you'll agree, Jim, is the backbone of the Universal Studios Hollywood experience, right? True. All right, so here's a question. Uh, Now, think about the movies or intellectual properties that could be featured at Universal Studios Hollywood. Which statement do you agree with the most? And there are two. 
There could be multiple rides and attractions based on a single movie if the execution is different. Or there should only be one ride or attraction based on a movie or IP at Universal. Now, we know, Jim, that that Universal has Harry Potter stuff in every theme park, right? And sometimes multiple things. What, what are they going with here? Are they trying to avoid overload or too much concentration? What's the, what are they going for here with this question? I have been hearing um, from multiple sources at this point that Mark Woodbury, the new head of uh, the Universal Parks and Experiences, um, that he really wants to lean into uh, the Universal owned IP as opposed to mm-hmm. things like Potter that they have to license. Um, so, you know, we're talking about things like Trolls. We're talking about things like Shrek, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, you know, Despicable Me. And so, uh, and it's worth noting that just in the past year, for example, at Universal Studios Orlando, we had the Villain Con Minions Blast open up directly right. across the street from the Despicable Me Minion Mayhem, uh, you know, a ride that's been there since, what, 2012, 2013. Uh, right. And that's just up the road from uh, the Minions Cafe. Uh, you know, that, that what you're seeing is a lot of, you know, universal sort of leaning into creating mini lands in the park built around individual IPs. Uh, in fact, just next year, uh, where uh, you know the 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 Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse uh, coaster and the coaster. Barney yeah. attraction, we're getting DreamWorks Land built uh, in Florida. So uh, this is kind of you know intriguing that they're they're asking about you know how okay would you be about uh, you know a, a a land having multiple uh, rides built around a set of characters as opposed to one big ride. Uh, built right. around characters. So, um, you know, and, and. Well, I mean, I think, I think the thing that we've seen from Harry Potter is if you do it right, you could have multiple rides based on a single franchise. Mm-hmm. Right. Where I think we're all okay with everything that Universal's done with the Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. The question is, is like, you know, is, 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 is the Trolls universe diverse enough to, well, to support an entire land? There you go. You know, you know. And, and that, that's an existential question, Jim. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's something that uh, each of us has to answer for ourselves there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the interesting thing with the Trolls, remember, we just had the third Trolls film come out. Right. I want to say there have been two Trolls uh, holiday specials to date. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, and, and, you know, they've had walk around characters in the park. They've had, uh, pop up experiences in New York city. I mean, you know, that it, hmm. you know, it, it, that's the thing from the universal side of the fence. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, laugh if you will, but trolls is a property we we're invested in. And, you know, yeah. we see I mean, a future it, it in the makes, parts. it makes regular regular reliable money right even if it's 50 million you know per film it's 50 million dollars right i would i would love to see at universal you know like in um in in theme parks like in, in uh and then in city walk or in uh, disney springs you see people who will do hair braiding i would love to see a troll hair place where your kids get their hair spiked oh. <laughs> like a troll like why are we not you know and dyed pink or green or whatever like, why, why hasn't that been a thing yet because think of the photo ops for that i uh, 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 somebody who's follicly impaired <laughs> i am signing up for this len you know that, that, that wigs jim wigs, wigs. we can do a wigs. lot these days yeah, with extensions go. okay all right continuing on with the survey uh, there's a couple of other interesting questions uh, below you'll find pairs of statements within each pair of statements select a button that best expresses the extent of your agreement with the statements. And so this one's about the studio tour and it's things like I have a sentimental attachment to the studio tour or it's just an attraction to me. And so Jim, the narrowing down here on the studio tour is kind of interesting. I think because correct me if I'm wrong here, the big concern with the studio tour isn't its popularity. It's two things. It's very expensive to operate and it takes up a ton of space in the Universal Studios Hollywood Park, is that is that your? This is true. This on? is true. Okay. Also uh, worth noting uh, on social media just this week, uh, folks were noting uh, to the effect of the the tram tour uh, down on the lower lot, uh, you know, avoided 
uh, what is it? Six Corners, the Western area, Little Europe. Oh, you know, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, one of the questions in the survey is how would you rate each of the following segments of the tour? And one of them is Six Points, Texas, Western Street Set. But Jim, uh, here's here's the thing: if you want to start a fight at your next holiday meal, and and you're going to go on the road with Nancy, so maybe this is a good time for you to pop this question. Here's what you ask your family. It's from the survey. Imagine that you're responsible for selecting the next update to the studio tour. What segment would you remove so that new content could be added? So Wisteria Lane, Desperate Housewives, Jaws, Earthquake, and so on. And and then what would you add? So the uh, the options that they select selected to add, it's a pretty extensive list. Uh, you mentioned Trolls, that's there. Land Before Time. And, but Laurel and I were going over this, and Laurel pointed out that both Animal House, The Breakfast Club, and Cats, also Oppenheimer, were things that you could add. To. Like, I would like to see a mashup of those four things. Oh. Like, can we get Ali Sheedy in a cat's costume talking to Robert Oppenheimer? I think that would be. Okay. You know. Wow. All right, that yeah. that that's that's one ambitious stop on the tram tour. Also, uh, Scarface and the Blues Brothers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I I would just like to respond to Universal here and say, you know, por qué no las dos? Like, why why can't we have both? I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, I, I you know, it just for me, I, you know, the fact that they have put together a list of possible franchises that they could bring into the park. It sort of right. reinforces, you know, what we're hearing, you know, the notion of, and, and in fact, you know, uh, that question at the very top to the effect of, do you have a sentimental attachment to the tram tour? Right. That yeah. um, that's, that's where it's gotten kind of interesting with universal. The universal parks have now been around long enough and people have visited multiple times that they are starting to verge on, uh, what Disney has that 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 you know it catches you in the fields you know to the, 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 yeah. to the effect of you have it's a tradition you've been here yeah there we yeah. go there we go so yeah. uh, got to be fascinated Super to see how this plays out so yeah I love it I love to see what's happening it also shows that Universal is really committed not only to building new parks but to updating the ones that they've got so mm-hmm. I think that's great there we go all right Jim we've got time for one listener question this one was sent in by Jason K after we mentioned the new Hatbox Ghost Edition coming to uh, Walt Disney World. And Jason says this, according to the ghost host, there were 999 happy haunts living in the mansion and there was room for a thousand. Now that they've publicly added one, the hotbox ghost, do they officially remove one, at least in the narrative? We wouldn't want the mansion to be full and not able to accept any more ghosts. Or is the hotbox ghost positioned prior to the official count of ghosts? Jim, I think this is uh, this question is more evidence that the Hatbox Ghost is one of the most base-breaking additions to Disney's park in recent years. It's the thing that's going to divide us for generations to come. <laughs> and okay. I say that because in researching the explanation that Disney uses to mm-hmm. justify the Hatbox Ghost in Walt Disney World, mm-hmm. like I parsed the individual words, I felt like I was studying for some new section of the LSAT on <sighs> supernatural law. Oh. <laughs> Okay. And and to that end, Jim, uh, here's some things I learned while researching this. Number one, um, <laughs> you when you're selling a house, if your house is haunted, you have to disclose poltergeists to prospective home buyers. Did you know this? I did not know that. There's there's actual case law, the 1991 court case of Stambovsky versus Ackley that says if your house is uh, said to be haunted, you have to uh, you have to disclose to potential purchasers that they're aware of this. Also, did you know that you can't sue Satan in the U.S. to get out of an eternal contract? The, the U.S. courts would consider Satan a foreign sovereign and thus not, not with uh, within U.S. jurisdiction. Oh. Hey. <laughs> the, thi- the things you learn Ow. researching this show. All right. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. to, Jason's, uh, to Jason's question, Disney's explanation is that if you listen to the dialogue, it says 999 happy haunts. But the Hatbox Ghost is not a happy haunt. He's malevolent and thus doesn't count towards the 999 total. So, Jason, there's still room for one more. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the L7 Supernatural Law. That's got to that's gotta be in a TV show at some point, I, right? I, like, <laughs> you know, that, that I, I think we have just hit upon the, the, the third film in the Ghostbusters reboot. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us how Listen to the Land became Living with the Land. Just make believe you're a tiny little seed, and we'll be right back. And we're back. All right, for those of you following along on the show notes, I've added a YouTube video link for the original Listen to the Land ride-through and also a link to background music to get you guys in the mood for more. All right, Jim. But uh, we we were we spent a lot of time in the land last week. We did, we did. And in fact, I, I I honestly felt kind of bad. We grabbed an entire corner of the food court in Sunshine Seasons, and in fact, yeah. we were right up against the lower exit door for I I, I still want to call the film that's shown there symbiosis. Uh, awesome planet. Yeah. Yeah. But it just, what was so funny was to watch the doors open and people come out and it's like, what, what is this? You know, what? How do I get it? We're, all, we're all covered in icing. Yep. It smells like gingerbread. Mm-hmm. People are screaming. I'm running around trying to knock over people's houses. Mm-hmm. It was utter chaos. Yep. Yep. And so for the people coming out of awesome planet, it was like, what, what, what what's happened in the last 12 minutes? <laughs> there we go. The the original plan for the day is Len was going to lead everybody who showed up for Ginger Snap Challenge uh, on a group ride in Spaceship Earth, but that was down for maintenance the better part of that day, and so we sort yeah. of de-, de facto moved over to uh, you know uh, the land pavilion and did. Uh, living with the land and yep. you know and again remember that this this was an opening day uh, attraction back in 82 uh and you know has the boat ride show at its very center uh, follows you know uh, you know you you see the initial show scenes then being getting then you pass through the living laboratory which tells a slightly different message than um previously uh, in fact, when this feature world attraction was initially in development, it, it was kind of fashionable to have a, a bleak take on the future. You know, movies like Soylent Green suggested that we, you know, eventually had to run our food and wind up eating each other or, uh, or there was going to be a nuclear holocaust and the apes would take over. Um, by the way, did you see that, uh, you know, remember that because Disney bought Fox back in 2019, and, and to be specific, certain film and television elements, we are about to get the first Disney-produced Planet of the Apes movie, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's Can, right. That's, uh, that's next year, right? When? Uh, May 2024. And, right, right, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I can't help but you know the 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 Magic Kingdom of the Apes. Hey, you know, are, are we finally going to see these characters in the park? And it's, and and here's the interesting thing, Len. If they were to come into the Disney parks, it would be the second time the Planet of the Apes characters came into the Wait, parks. Um, someone someone licensed the Planet of the Apes characters for a theme park. Well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> um, what and okay. what ended up Jeez. happening? June of 1970. 20th Century Fox enters into a long-term lease uh, with the folks who own Marine, Marine Land of the Pacific. This is was an 85-acre uh, oceanographic park. Uh, actually predated Disneyland by a full year. Uh, is this the one that's like on a cliff? It is. It is. I'm yeah. Talking, we've, okay, you, know. you and I have talked about this like offline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, and right. In fact, what's kind of interesting is when the park closed in 87 and got flattened, uh, it's since become a beloved film location. In fact, um, if you've seen a, either of the first two Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you've seen this location. This is where uh, Jack Sparrow and Will Turner were supposed to be hung at the end of the first film, Curse of the Black Really? Hole. That's there? That's right there. And on the other hand, if you, you caught the second film, uh, Dead Man's Chest, uh, this is where Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan were supposed to be married before he was, Aww. you know, carted off. Um, so you've seen the location, folks. It's beautiful. Um, and so Fox, uh, you know, Fox looked at what uh, Disney was doing and Universal was doing and decided we want to get into the theme park business. Uh, so, okay. you know, we we lease this this well-developed property. I mean, it, it has a, a 3,000-seat arena for its killer whale show. It's got a 1,500-car par- parking lot. So it's like, you know, all right, we, we can be a player with this. So they pivot 
you know, after they've signed this deal, they pivot to their then hit in-house hitmaker, who is Irwin Allen, uh, the producer of the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering That's Inferno, who fancied himself the next Walt Disney. Uh, in fact, uh, in fact, kind of bizarre on the heels of the success of the Poseidon Adventure, uh, Irwin Allen actually at one time proposed building a theme park right next to the Queen Mary, which, remember, Disney also, you know, uh, kicked yeah. kick the tire. Run it, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, Erwin, you know, Erwin's uh, task to, you know, turn uh, Marine Land of the Pacific into a 20th Century Fox-themed uh, uh, theme park. So, okay. uh, you know, he, <laughs> so he immediately raids that studio's costume library and, and puts teenagers in the Planet of the Apes costumes and send them out into the park, which of course, yeah. totally Jim, fits. Which is just yeah. really fan, the best idea I've ever heard for live entertainment in a theme park. <laughs> yes. Well, what could possibly go wrong? Okay. <laughs> but, but, but the, the, if you remember from the original Planet of the Apes movies, the, the poor, the, um, the gorillas, the, the, the gorilla guards yeah. are dressed all in black leather. They have, you know, bl- thick black fur, like a full black face mask. Oh, in California. In California. And the poor teenagers. During the summer. Yeah, 15 minutes <laughs> out during the set were keeling over in the park you know, from, from heat exhaustion. So, um, what? but Erwin, you know, so convinced, I can make this work. I can make this work, which is why for uh, December of 1974, it is announced that Marine Land of the Pacific, now owned by 20th Century Fox, is about to present Winter Wonderland. Uh, the, the, the studio was going to actually spent $500,000. It hired 212 craftsmen to come into the park and to transform it into this this amazing Christmas-themed environment. It was going to have a, a giant alpine slide. It was going to have a, a, a train called the Snowball Express, not to mention the world's largest Christmas tree, uh, rising over 403 feet above sea level. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they also tease the idea that you're going to get to see Santa, going to ride a dolphin or hang out with Corky and Orky, that theme park's two killer whales. Um, Jim, let me just say, it's, it's the guy who did the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno. And if he applies the same skills to a Christmas theme thing, I, this is either going to be the greatest show ever or the worst possible idea in the history of humanity. <laughs> Let's, let's go with the latter land. Okay, let's I, I, I think okay. you, you got it in one. Okay, so what ends up happening is that um, they prompt, you know, they, they they promise that you know we're gonna have a hundred tons, or excuse me, a thousand tons of real live snow. And so they they okay. tell the children of Southern California to dress warmly when they come out to the park. And uh turns out it's when they go to do this, and it starts December 21st, 1974, it's 70 degrees outland. Um, so mm. you know, if you're a child who wants to play with real life snow, you 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 have to go to the snow bowl, which turns Turns out to be a long wooden table with snow piled on it, and you know every child, <laughs> you know, every child was allowed to sit down for five minutes and play in the snow, and and you know, and then it's like okay, next, moving along. Uh, wow, and right. um, it it was a disaster. You know that, that particularly all of these kids in their you know their heavy woolen coats and galoshes trotting around the the seventy degree thing and. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is it went so badly and they got sued, uh, oh, by, by so course, many yeah. theme park patrons that, uh, you know, Irwin's relationship with 20th Century Fox fell, fell apart just six months after Winter Wonderland at, at uh, Marine Land of the Pacific. Irwin left Fox to then go make movies for Warner Brothers. And then just two years after that, in 1978, Fox decides, you know, we really don't want to be in the theme park business, you know, that so they sell the place off. But all right, anyway, getting back okay. now to Epcot. Um, all right, yeah. So the so we're we're in a period here in the 70s mm-hmm. where we've got movies like Planet of the Apes that are showing a bleak future. They are. They are. And, for the Earth. Okay, go ahead. And that's the thing. The land pavilion um, you know, has this 
this problem. They have to deal with, well, well for example, this is the central message of this future world pavilion. Uh, you know, this, this comes from the, yeah. the actual literature that Disney provided when the park first opened. As the world's population continues to grow, man's ability to survive will depend on his ability to create technology that will provide food for the world's people. This is the essence of the land. By developing a symbiotic relationship with the Earth, a creative partnership, the Earth's potentialities allow us to be optimistic about the future. That said, the farms of the future will have to make the best use of land space and will have to overcome problems like water supply and irrigation, accurate weather predictions, and pest control. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of a Malthusian message, right? Like, oh, we're all gonna we're all gonna fight for food in the future. Yeah, this is how it's yeah, gonna look. it's a tough love message. You know, the fact that yeah, you're not you're not selling a lot of t-shirts at the end of this one. No, all right. no, okay, you know, the, we can feed the world if we are realistic about the problems we actually face on this planet. And right. so Okay, but again, it was it was of the time, right? The seventies were had these sort of like uh, you know, what's technology gonna do to us messages? Okay, go ahead. All right, but but again, from the company that brought you a spoonful of sugar, I, I hope some medicine yeah. go down. This is a really yeah. bitter pill, Lynn. You know, how do you yeah, yeah. how do you make this palatable in a theme yeah. park? Not only that, but I mean how do you how do you get a sponsor for that? Uh, okay, well, all right, so all right. we got some challenges. Okay, all right, so go ahead. Disney found the solution to this problem in the wine cellar at the Newport Inn in Newport Beach, California. Uh, this is where singer-songwriter Bob Moline had been performing in the mid to late 1970s. And oh. uh, Bob came on the Imagineer's radar uh, when he wrote It Can Only Happen at Disneyland, the theme song uh, that, that that theme park used uh, for a very successful promotional campaign just prior to Disneyland's 25th anniversary celebration in 1980. Um, and so finding it can only happen at, at Disneyland to be something of an earworm, the, the Imagineers then turned to Bob and gave him three Epcot-related assignments. They need okay. a closing number for the Circle Vision show that will be presented in the Canada Pavilion at World Showcase. Uh, similarly, okay. they need a closing number for the American Adventure. And then finally, some sort of theme song for the land pavilion that makes, you know, this, you know, well, we better get our act together or we're all going to starve. You know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I choked there for a second. Wait, are you saying that Bob Moline did the Lifetime Journey song? There we go. Golden Dreams and Listen to the Land? He did. One guy? One guy. Dude, the, you know. I mean, I, I think I speak for all theme park fans yeah. when I say – uh, those are straight bangers. No, they are. Kids, they right? are. I yeah. mean, you know, that the, 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 you know, the, and, and they delivered the goods. So, Jim, when I think of "Listen to the Land," yeah. I think of John Denver on Happy Pills oh, singing that song. That's how positive absolutely. that you know, song is. But I mean, but again, he he nailed the uh, you know, the the tone, the style in yeah. one, and 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 now, mind you, you know, I'm not sure Disney would have gone with these same lyrics today. I mean, make believe you're a tiny little seed, a tiny little seed that's reaching out to meet your need, and with the right amount of faith and right amount of earth, uh, will you'll grow to see the sunshine of on your day of birth? I, I think, sure, you know, I, I, I you know. Now, it's worth noting that Kraft sponsors the land through the fall of 1992. Uh, it officially All right, so from, from opening day until yeah. 1992? Yeah. Oh, okay, so they're uh, opening day sponsor. Okay, cool. Okay, and uh, then they withdraw as a sponsor of this future world attraction, September 26th mm -hmm. of that same year. It takes um, Disney a full year to get Nestle's on board. Uh, they, they they don't begin the actual retooling of uh, you know freshening up of of this future world attraction until uh, September of ninety three, and okay. uh, worth noting that. Um, when they did the redo, the I, I mean, how many of you remember the the original uh, "Listen to the Land" setup? I mean, yeah. you you went into this plasticine, yeah. plasticine, plasticine, <laughs> giant leaves, roots, stems, yeah. With and, and they were very colorful, like like pink and orange and red plants, yeah. And then, but then it then they switched. This is where they uh, they switched over to the. 
to the biomes, right? The rainforest and they did. They did. In fact, yeah. what's okay. kind of interesting is the new opening for this attraction is you come across what appears to be a really violent storm, and you're supposed to be concerned. Uh, but then the the narration, and that's the other thing that's worth noting, Glenn, is remember this used to be an attraction with a live host on board who spieled, you know, who, who right. you know, who, yeah. you know, that, that we went from having a cast member on board each of the boats to now having, uh, you know, a spiel that played as we moved past certain scenes. But, you know, the yep. whole notion here was that we see a violent storm, but this is actually a necessary part of the process here on the planet that, that, you know, that mm -hmm. the, the, the flash floods and that sort of thing will make it that much more possible for seeds to spread and, and things to grow in different areas and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, but so they, a violent storm is actually a good thing, you know, that from the school of thought, well, you know, we need a forest fire every now and then, you know, that, that, <laughs> that sort of thing, which is true. Yeah. It's just true. But in, in, and it's true in a way that people don't often think about. So yep. again, going back to the mm -hmm. original, uh, edutainment, there we go. And, uh, goal of Epcot, that makes sense. And as you mentioned, you you then move through the biomes, you do the rainforest, then you get to the desert and finally arrive at the American Prairie where you've got your farmhouse to the left and then you have your mm -hmm. buffaloes across the way there. And, and prairie dogs too, right? And prairie yeah. dogs. And, you know, um, by the way, uh, there is a story out there about how the buffalo that you look mm -hmm. at in uh, this attraction were actually built for Western River Exposition. Uh, you know, the, the oh, attraction. For the Magic Kingdom. For the yeah. Magic Kingdom. That, that, that initially, uh, that park wasn't supposed to have a Pirates of the Caribbean. They were supposed to have a, a musical comedy celebration of, you know, uh, cowboys and Indians. And oh, so okay. I flat out asked Mark at one point, is this story true? Is that, you know, were those buffaloes actually built for Western River? And he said, yeah, you know, I just, it, mm. but he, he said it was because the one thing that, um, I, you know, that, that Imagineer's uh, management balked at, that, that a gag that he had, uh, set up at the beginning of the attraction is you had a, a cowboy with a guitar starting the, the theme song for uh, Western River Expedition. And then his backup singers were, mm -hmm. were the buffaloes, you know, that, that they, you know, <laughs> okay. and it was one of these things where it's like, I, you know, the, he um. evidently management and WDI were like, I, I don't know if I buy buffaloes and backup singers from this, from the same company who give us uh, country bear jamboree, but okay. I, okay. All right. Okay. And, and, but that Sounds was the thing. speciesist to me. Yeah, well, right. but that's the thing, you know, Mark had some developed money and it's just like, all right, well, you know, build, build two buffaloes. And, <laughs> and, and then some money to build some Buffalo. Then, All right, there we go. go. And then he convinces, uh, Bill justice to program them. And, okay. but here's the part that I, as a long time Van Halen fan, I know you will love because which of the albums ends with happy trails, Diver um, down. Okay. Yeah. Get over. <laughs> That's what he has the buffaloes sing. The buffalo right? singing the Van Halen version of uh, yeah, you know, it's, 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 That's kind of perfect. It is, you know. Um, and this was this is what year? 80? They had they had them in the warehouse to grab in 81. So they had done the test, uh, I want to say four or five years earlier. So this would have- Oh, that makes sense because Diver Down came out in 82. Okay. So the soundtrack would have been available. Okay. All right. You know, for that, them to actually- Well, I mean, again, again okay. he, he yeah, had it them- makes sense. Yeah. He had them sing the Happy Trails. I don't know if he actually had them do the- uh, what is it? The the actual Van Halen version. I oh no no, but it, but it would have been it would have been in uh, in the cultural pop culture mm -hmm. zeitgeist yep. uh, around there yep. because of that song. Okay, okay, right. but um, but anyway, the, to uh, to to bring us full circle here. So, but this was the more serious version when when, when listen with the land <laughs> the more serious version of the singing buffalo there we go but and for me it, you got to remember that you know last week when we we you know we floated through this thing the living yeah. laboratory section with all of its its mm. colorful oh, okay, okay. holiday treatment um, you know, this facility is actually operated on Disney property 
in cooperation with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I mean, yeah. uh, in fact, the arm of, of the, the, the USDA uh, that, that, that does the Agricultural Research Service. Uh, yeah, the ARS, yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, they are doing government-sanctioned experiments behind that glass in regard to tissue culturing, plant propagation, mm-hmm. uh, genetic transformation of, of crops, and uh, not to mention groundbreaking work with hydroponics, and irrigation yep. methods and integrated, you know, pest management and all that. So, so try to keep that in mind the next time you're in there, folks. Looking at the pretty Christmas decorations. That that again, there's there's some serious stuff going on past the the, the silly snowman. So, I think yeah, I mean it's true. I, I think one of the things that's been consistent with Epcot ever since it opened mm-hmm. is is this attraction and how it's remained completely faithful. Mm-hmm. To the to the original Epcot narrative of you know education and entertainment at the same time, and especially using plants, mm-hmm. which is you know something that everyone can relate to. I gotta say, you know, I the the first time I did mm-hmm. hydroponics, I did it because of living with the land. Yep. Yeah, I, I so, it, it's yeah, just kind of interesting to bring this up now because you know to to have this. You know, to be talking about this opening day uh, Epcot attraction the week that the World Celebration Gardens open. Opens, yeah. You know, and just to... to yeah, see old Epcot and new Epcot together. Yeah, yeah and, and both, you know, uh, taking on plants in their own way. So, yeah. I mean, I love the idea that, uh, that Disney hasn't changed this attraction. And then uh, the other interesting thing is, you know, you and I went on this with, you know, 100 other people mm-hmm. at like... 9.15 in the morning, and there was a, already a 15-minute line oh, yeah. for this attraction on not a busy day. So I think, you know, the more people who know about this, mm-hmm. the more people will enjoy it. Like, I don't I don't know of anyone who has a bad thing to say about this attraction. Yeah. And, and that goes to show that, like, the original idea mm-hmm. is still good 40 years later. That's, that's a testament to how well some of this stuff was planned. Uh, on the other hand, again, if someone at Disney is seriously thinking about bringing the Planet Apes characters into the park, <laughs> just you know, go back, take another look at Marine Land of the Pacific. This might yeah, not, you'll know what not to do. Yeah, there we go. So. And the, I want to give a uh, I want to give a quick recommendation here for the behind the scenes tour mm-hmm. at Living oh, with yeah. the Land because if you haven't doesn't done it, it's really inexpensive. I think it's less than twenty dollars per person. Mm-hmm. You get like a one hour tour of the greenhouses themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on it once with Bob Selinger and we were basically acting like it was the Willy Wonka factory <laughs> tour. We're trying to eat samples of plants, be, you know, without the, uh, the guide looking and everything. It was kind of great, but, uh, so don't do that, but definitely, definitely try the tour. It's a, it's a great, uh, very inexpensive little slice of behind the scenes Epcot. It's a great value and it's a great attraction. Cool. Cool. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support the show by subscribing over at patreon.com slash GML media, where we're posting exclusive shows every week. And with every show we release, we have multiple follow-up shows, including answers to questions you all send in, plus special longer director's cuts of each show, and lots more. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lenatetouringplants.com. We're produced spectacularly by Eric Hersey, the defending men's elite solo artistic champion, with a new spin on the classic left backhand release double knuckle pop, and other tricks at the 2024 Snow Festival Open Baton Twirling Competition, It's an open, so everyone's invited on Saturday, January 13th, 2024 at Cosby High School on Fox Club Parkway in beautiful downtown Midlothian, Virginia. While Eric's doing that, please go into iTunes and radar show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.